Yeah, man. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. Really hate to break that up. I love that song. Good song, man. We want to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record Theology in the Dirt from Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to address a foster care and adoption crisis in northwest Georgia, Georgia, the southeast, and the world as we practice our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. You can also get sermon notes and links to the rest of our podcast at theologyinthedirt.com. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. How about we get to some news? Gary Gnu. And the No Gnu's is Good Gnu's show. The only TV Gnu's program guaranteed to contain no Gnu's whatsoever. <laughs> Nothing bad or wrong ever happens on my show. Just got finished saying nothing wrong happens on my show. Shape up, you guys. <laughs> now, if you were born in the 70s and were still a child in the early 80s, you recognize that? That's Gary Gnu. And as uh, Gary Gnu said, uh, it's the no Gnu show. However, we have some Gnu's. Because we always have Gnu's. I just thought Gary Gnu was funny. <laughs> Sounds like at Christmas then, like, you know, it's talking about good news. Yeah. And you know how, like, Christmas songs always shorten words? Like, yeah. Like, Heaven. Heaven and, you know, <laughs> so Gnu's. That's right. So I, actually, if you actually watch Gary Gnu for real coming up as a kid, you can shoot us an email at theologyanddirt at gmail.com. That'd be really nice to know um, if you're, if our demographic watched Gary Gnu. I introduced Chris to Gary Gnu today. So in the spirit of no Gnu's, I want to give you some Gnu's. So here are my news items for today. The U.S. on Friday vetoed a United Nations Security Council resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. When it comes to a ceasefire in the moment with Hamas still alive, still intact, and again with the stated intent of repeating October 7, or October 7 again and again and again, that would simply perpetuate the problem, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said on Sunday, though he noted Thursday that there is a gap between between the intent to protect civilians and the actual results that we're seeking on the ground. The IDF continued its operations in southern Gaza over the weekend, engaging Hamas fighters and uh, searching for Hamas leader Yah, Yah Sinwar, a key priority in their campaign to eradicate the terrorist group's leadership. The Biden administration on Friday bypassed Congress and approved an expedited sale of $106 million in tank ammunition to Israel. Six IDF soldiers were injured in drone attacks in northern Israel by Hezbollah on Sunday as the Israeli Air Force launched a series of airstrikes targeting the Lebanese terrorist organization in response to the repeated attacks the, Iran the Iranian-backed group has launched along the Israel-Lebanon border, including one on Thursday that killed a 60-year-old Israeli farmer. Zaki Haneb, boy, I totally butchered this gentleman's name, and I apologize. Um, Israel's national security advisor signaled on Saturday that outright war with Hezbollah could begin once Hamas is defeated in Gaza. The situation in the north must be changed, he said, and it will change. If Hezbollah agrees to change things via diplomacy, very good, but I don't believe it will. The U.S. Embassy in Baghdad was struck on Friday with seven mortar rounds marking the largest such attack in more than a year. Though no injuries were reported and there was only minor structural damage, U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria were further targeted with drones and missiles throughout the day on Friday. No group has yet claimed responsibility for Friday's attack, though Iran-sponsored militants have targeted U.S. military facilities in the region at least 78 times since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. I would imagine with our technology, satellite tech, we could find the source of where those mortars came from. I don't think so. 
I would imagine they're probably not saying too because it's probably pretty intense. The White House announced on Sunday a meeting scheduled for Tuesday between President Joe Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in which Biden will underscore his unshakable commitment to supporting the people of Ukraine as they defend themselves against Russia's brutal invasion. While in Washington, Zelensky is scheduled to deliver remarks before an all-senators meeting and meet with House Speaker Mike Johnson. Zelensky participated in Argentinian President Javier Malay's inauguration on Sunday and met with leaders from Uruguay, Paraguay, Ecuador over the weekend in an effort to win support from the global south for Ukraine's defense against Russia. My final news source, University of uh, my final news story from the dispatch, which is the source, University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill resigned from her post on Saturday in the wake of her appearance last week at a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism in college campuses. And if you watched her and two other presidents of supposed superior uh, intellectual academic institutions, they were horrible. McGill faced immediate calls to resign for alumni and donors, including one who pulled a $100 million donation. Scott Bach, chairman of Penn's Board of Trustees, also announced his resignation on Saturday but expressed support for the embattled president. McGill will stay on in an interim capacity while the school searches for a replacement, and she has also been reassigned to uh, be a uh, tenured pre- professor uh, at the law school there, which really is not much of a downgrade. She's still going to be teaching people garbage, but but won't be. At least she's not going to be as a president, right? So you I'm not lose a sure hundred million dollar donation, you're probably not going to last. Yeah, that's right. So that's all I'm going to say about that, lest I get in trouble. So a new AI powered care pod is one of the newest rages in the medical field. A company called Ford is installing care pods around the country with the hope that people will visit them regularly for preventative care and specific concerns. After buying a $99 a month membership, a patient uses their phone to unlock the door. It looks like a little, like almost like a half a shipping container size box. Okay. Sit it in a mall or any place in public. Um, But you unlock the door with your phone, you sit in the chair inside, and it runs through a series of health apps. Uh, You can do a biometric body scan, have your DNA sequenced, and test for hypertension, kidney disease, and heart issues, amongst other things. So it would actually take blood tests in there with no person. Serious? 100%. That's wild. Uh, Your results are reviewed by doctors off-site, or you can talk to a doctor virtually while you're in the care pod. Uh, The first of three care pods are in Sacramento, California, Chandler, Arizona, and Chicago's is Willis Tower, with plans to roll out many more in 2024. And in the sports world, the most anticipated free agency in Major League Baseball history came to an end this weekend as Japanese superstar and baseball unicorn Shohei Otani mm. signed a ridiculous 10-year, $700 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Nuts. Not only is it the largest free agent contract of all time, it's more than the second and third highest combined. Wow. Uh, and now he's a great player, but it's just an absurd amount of money to give any single player – and the Dodgers skated through some hoops by deferring a significant portion of that salary. And for whatever reason, baseball, Major League Baseball allows you to defer a lot of money and it not count against your luxury tax penalties. So even That's though broke. it's $70 million a year, it won't count towards their payroll at $70 million a year, which affects the luxury tax. So their penalties will be minimal. But uh, let's just say that. That's a lot of money. I don't care what you do or who you are. I hope they finish last in the, in the West. I hope that anyway, but now it just makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, but that's right. my news for today. Awesome. Well, guys, don't forget about Magic Mind, our last piece of news for the day, with key ingredients like matcha, uh, cordyceps mushrooms. It's an adaptogen that reduces inflammation and strengthens the immune system. You can check that out right there. You'll be absolutely super pleased with Magic Mind. 
we definitely, during this time of year, particularly during Christmas, want to strengthen our immune system so that we can fight off colds that might keep us from all the fun events with family and friends. Uh, like I mentioned already, it's Christmas and our schedules are busy, wonderfully busy, wonderfully full, amazing things that we don't want to miss out on. And our bodies, though, can be strained through this process. So there are plenty of tasks to do, uh, always trying to ward off getting sick and prevent feeling horrible during Christmas. And so we don't want to miss all the fun. So if you want to try an all-natural, gluten-free, sugar-free, keto, vegan, and paleo-friendly, amazing help to increase your focus and energy and boost your immune, your immune system during Christmas season, you need to check out Magic Mind. I'm using Magic Mind. I love it, and I think you will love it as well. And it's helping me during this time of year, and I think it'll help you as well. Magic Mind increases my energy, my focus, longer into the day, and I just plain feel better. You can get Magic Mind at magicmind.com forward slash theology in the dirt, and you can use the promo code TID20. And with that promo code, you get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your one time purchase. That's promo code TID20 for 56% off. And it works if you're already a subscriber because you can save on your next subscription payment. And now, a little bit of updated information. You can find Magic Mind in all Sprouts Farmers Market stores across the country. So if you have a Sprouts nearby, get down there and grab a few bottles to try. Magic Mind has a 100% money-back guarantee, no questions asked, so there's really no risk. If you don't like it, they refund in three to four hours. That's amazing. MagicMind.com forward slash Theology in the Dirt. Code TID20 for up to 56% off your subscription. The 30-pack is the best value. Give it a try. Chris, how about we get after some theology in the dirt? Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in five. Let's get after it. Well, we've been doing a series on worship, and this is part three. Mm. And so we're using uh, Dr. Bruce Leafblad's definition of worship that uh, we gleaned, that I learned at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I was privileged to have Dr. Leafblad, and it's been a joy to go back through that old school notebook that I still have. No digital content there, baby. Mm. It's uh, handouts, printouts, and a lot of handwriting. But this is a definition we're working off of. Worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, center their minds' attention and their hearts' affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to the revelation of His glory and His majesty. Now, we've unpacked the first couple parts of that definition, so we really encourage you to go back and check out part one and part two. This is part three. And in part three, we're going to unpack this simple phrase, humbly glorifying God. And so, Chris, I want to start with humbly because right here, it's rooted in two New Testament words, two Greek words um, that's key in this definition. And, and the root of this part of the definition comes from perhaps maybe two of the most important words in the entire Greek New Testament. They're absolutely essential because they rob, and I, and, and I mean this positive, they rob us of any pride in coming with with anything to the Lord in worship, and they're absolutely essential. Um, they're translated often in the New Testament as worship or service. 
So if you see the word worship in the New Testament or the word service, um, it, one of these, these two words are going to be behind there. Um, the word ministry that you'll find is a word that's usually, it's the Greek word deacon, um, and, and, and it's not this word. In fact, sometimes it's connected the ministry of worship or the ministry of service. Paul will connect those sometimes. That's deacon, and it's usually deacon latreia or deacon liturgia. Mm. Um, but these two words um, that the New Testament connects to worship are absolutely essential to us understanding that worship is an act of humility. So, so what we're bringing to the Lord is, is a humble thing. Uh, it's not a prideful act. So let's start with the first word, latreia. Um, the word literally means to worship. And it is quite literally connected to that service for hire. Um, and it's sometimes used for someone who's an indentured servant or a slave. And so when the New Testament uses that word, what the connotation and the connection is, is the theology behind it. There is, there is the Lord, there's God. Mm-hmm. And because of his work of saving us and loving us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of that amazing work. We come and we worship and, and it is described with this word. And the implication is he has done all the work and therefore we come to him as a servant. Mm. Um, and so it's used of divine service, John 16 too. Now what I'm going to do is give a bunch of scriptures here and I'm going to read them. But I'm encourage people to go look them up. John 16, 2, Romans 9, 4. Romans 12, 1 is the, is the biggie there. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's Latreia. It's your worship. So in light of what the Lord has done in the justifying work of the cross, it's the logical conclusion now to come and offer yourself as a servant to the Lord. Mm. And so um, massive. Massive, massive, massive. Romans 12, 1. Hebrews 9, 1 and 6. Um, and the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uses this word, particularly in Exodus 12, 25 and 26 and Joshua 22, 27, to talk about the work uh, of worship before the Lord as he prescribed of them. And so their work in the temple was to be something that was a humble service. Uh, because of his great love and care for them. The next word that's used is the word liturgia, which is where we get our word liturgy from. Mm-hmm. And often when we hear that word, we usually connect it to a, an order. That's because that's how we use the word a liturgy, an order. But its root, its, it, its intent is not order. Now, order is implied. Now, this is, this is huge. I, I don't want to get too far off track here, but... Um, Order is implied from creation. And so when you come with a worship service, the, the idea that there's a, a formless worship service just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so, so everything has to have order because creation doesn't work without order. Right. So liturgy, we use it to describe an order that we have. But the New Testament doesn't use it that way. The word literally means it's a public service or office, particularly uh, contextually, as in the city of Athens, uh, in a Greek context, as well as other places in the in, in the Roman Empire that was Greekified, Hellenization, the Greekification of the culture, and then the Romans conquering that Hellenization still ruled, and so this word 
was a Hellenistic word, and it was literally a public service or a public office, and it was administered by the citizens at their own expense as part of the system of finance. And so, in other words, their service to advance their civilization was to serve at their own expense for the sake of their government. And it was a humble service. And in the New Testament, this is the word that is used and chosen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a act of worship. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, in the New Testament, it's a service or ministry um, in the public administration, um, particularly in Luke one twenty three and Hebrews 8, 6, and 9.21 of the Jewish priesthood. Again, they apply it to the work in the temple. But then it's used of the ministry of the Christian teacher and bringing people to the faith, Philippians 2.17. Um, and then by implication, it means friendly service. A kind office, Philippians 2.30. Um, it's also particularly used of the collection of funds and the public collections for the churches that Paul and his companions were taking up to take back to the churches who were struggling in Judea in 2 Corinthians 9.12. Thus, here's the conclusion of all that. Thus, the Latreia is a service of sacrifice brought by one in the humble position of bringing an offering as a servant, not the served. And the liturgia is not merely the order, but the attitude of the worshiper in bringing their offering to the Lord. Therefore, worship by its biblical language is the work of a humble people as servants of the Lord, not arrogant acts to get some rise emotionally out of our own selves or to fix some problem in our own emotions. And so that's a mouthful, and I recognize I said a lot there, so I need to stop, take a breath, and Chris, what what is what do you have? But what do you, what is that? What kind of makes sense of some of that and some of your thoughts? And what do you think? Yeah, I, well, I love how Lee Vlad puts it. The order he puts those three words in: humbly glorifying God. Yeah, I think that the the premise there is like there's not a way to glorify God any other way. This is not right. a. It's not hum, worshiping Him humbly is not a way to glorify Him. It, like you can't glorify Him. And yourself. So the only way to glorify him, or we often use the word exalt, to exalt him, right, is to practice humility, to be in humility. Uh, I think John 3.30 simplifies it really well. Mm. He must increase, but I must decrease. Mm. To me, that's like the very essence of worship. Mm. Um, the word humble or humility appears 81 times in the Bible, so no doubt it's important, right. and we need to be reminded of it often. I love uh, Proverbs 22.4. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Wow. And I think there's this there's an intentional equating of humility and fear of the Lord here, connecting those two, uh, which I think is important for worship. Uh, and, and perhaps we should do another episode one day on the fear of the Lord because I think that's a phrase that yes we hear a lot, but we don't really know what that means because we like I think as a human being when I hear the word fear, like I think scared or like afraid. And, and, and there's a component of that at times, certainly for, for non-believers. Uh, that's mm-hmm. an unpleasant definition. But basically um, basically it means being in reverent awe of his holiness. So it's an acknowledgment of his greatness and his glory, his mm-hmm. power and majesty. It's an understanding of his separate nature as creator and king of all things and his lordship and sovereignty over all things. And um, that acknowledgment, that understanding is worship in itself. Can I say something there? Yeah, jump I in. think it's huge. Fear and humility go hand in hand, and this is the part of this is the part of fear that's not negative because we have a tendency to think of fear as all negative, and it's not. Fear is actually an incredible grace that 
saves life. Mm-hmm. If a person possesses zero, zero, I mean, no fear component in their in their um, uh, internal working of their brain, like that part of your brain on the inside that that is the survival instinct that the Lord wired in there. Fear is one of those things that the Lord gave us to preserve us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if I'm um, if I'm out in the jungle and um, I see I happen upon uh, a jaguar, like a legit jaguar, yeah. and uh, th- that can drag crocodiles from a river <laughs> and eat it. Um, it is good for me to feel this sense of fight, flight, or freeze, that fear reaction, um, because it will save my life. Mm-hmm. And, and it is a humble thing to receive that and not push that down and go, oh, I should never be afraid. Like, fear is just all negative. I'm going to push that down, and I'm going to stare that jaguar in the eyes. Yeah. You're going to die. I'm going to die that day, it's and a, it's not a negative thing, right? A pants-soiling type of fear. <laughs> it is a pants-soiling type of fear. And I was just reading in Hebrews today, my writing, my, my reading today in, the, in Hebrews particularly said it is, a, it is, it is a, a crazy wild thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrible, powerful, fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, speaking in context of like making sure you don't walk away. Like If you walk back and you leave Jesus and you leave the fellowship and you're afraid of suffering for his name and so you don't want to lose anything and you walk away, so it's a terrible, awful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And so there's a component of humility and worship that is the positive side of fear that will save our lives. Yeah. Because you don't we don't just wash up into the presence of a holy God without the provided covering of the justifying work of the cross and recognition of it as the way in which I come every time I come. And so there's a component of recognizing what Jesus has done for me that causes me every time I approach, whether it's privately, quietly, daily as I read and pray or in corporate worship to go, you know, there are some Corinthians who died because of how they took the supper. I probably ought to be very careful. And that's not a negative thing. It's a right. humble thing to recognize I'm, I'm coming in this access because of Jesus. And he's invited me. So I'm going to come. but I'm going to walk a little gingerly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so and we do need to talk about that. I think we're going to pack that. So Because the fear is part of the humility, I feel. Yeah, I think that would be good to discuss. And, I, it, you know, you've, we've talked about this word, like, tension. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful yeah. tension a lot. Yeah. There's, there's that tension between yeah. f- being free in Christ mm-hmm. to mess up and that there's grace. Yeah. But also pursuing living like him 100%. and if and we need to be in all of him and mm-hmm. what he can do and so it's, it's it's not a fear of like he's gonna strike me with lightning if i sin 100 percent. but there's still a health should be a healthy tension there Absolutely. That, that helps us reject and and not want to sin as well mm. um but i yeah i agree there there's a Kind of important connotation there. Uh, John Ruskin was a poet, a writer, and art critic in London in the eighteen hundred late eighteen hundreds. He said this about humility: "I believe the first test of a truly great man. Let me back up. I believe the first test of a truly great man is his humility. Mm-hmm. I do not mean by humility doubt of his own power or hesitation in speaking his opinion, mm-hmm. but really great men have a feeling that the greatness is not in them but through them." that they could not do or be anything else than God made them. Mm. And I really like how he clarifies that. When we talk about humility, it's, it's not 
being, it's not weakness. It's not uh, hesitancy. It's not passiveness. There's a, there's a, a strength in humility. Um, there's a, a, a reckoning that takes place and it's life changing when we can experience that. So the first step of being humble, I think is to want it, <laughs> but I caution you with this as someone who has asked for it and received it. Um, it does not just come easily all the time. Mm-hmm. So in other words, sometimes humility looks more like pruning. Uh, and I love this word pruning. I use it often when talking about the Christian life and like the ongoing process of sanctification. Cause I think it really, um, breaks down for us what, what this is like. So John 15 talks all about this image of Jesus being divine and the father being the vine dresser or the gardener. Mm-hmm. The father prunes the fruitful branches so that they will produce more fruit. So if we understand that number one, that pruning is not punishment, but in fact, it's a reward. Uh, even though man, it can hurt. Mm-hmm. And I know you've experienced this. I think yeah. anyone in the faith with any experience or time in life experiences that in a way it's discipline, but it's also, um, well, let, me, let me give you two definitions, and these are not out of the Bible. These are just out of like looking up, def, I think, Merriam-Webster's definition. But I think that's a perfect mm-hmm. fit to what we're talking about today. So, um, And I'll circle back to how and why this relates to humbly glorifying God. The first definition of pruning is to reduce, especially by eliminating superfluous matter. Mm. And the second one is to cut off or cut back parts of for better shape or for more fruitful growth. And that's where that reward piece of humility and pruning comes. It's when we are being pruned, it's not because we did something wrong. It's so that we can be more effective. We can become more like him and mm. we can better serve the um, the whole tree, if you will. Mm. So pruning removes what we don't need or things that are extra or that could prohibit our growth and fruitfulness. But Also pruning and humbling is for our good mm. as it allows us to be more fruitful and how that relates to humility Um is not weakness, but it's a strength. As I mentioned before, it's ridding ourselves of things that don't make us more like him so that we can glorify him and show off his radiance, mm. his beauty and majesty and the things that, that are um, help the entire body by producing more fruit and by growing into who and what we were made for. Mm. Um, you know, we talked about the purpose, the chief in demand is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, which is, is worship. So mm. um, really that, and that kind of leads into, I think, glorifying God. And I know you've got some stuff on that. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about glorifying God. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm sitting here, like I've, I've noticed it's something I'm doing and it's totally subconscious <laughs> and, and I'm having to talk myself. I feel like I'm having to convince people humility is acceptable. Yeah. You ever noticed that? Like it, it it's the, like we have this, there's something that has crept into our theology that, God can't be a God that demands humility because then he's not loving. And I'm, 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 I'm totally verbally like I'm working this out right now. This is not in my notes, but I'm noticing I feel like we're having to convince ourselves and other people that humility is acceptable. And, it, and it's somehow uh, a, not a show of weakness. And, and I think that's because I'm having this, like I'm having an epiphany here. I feel like this is, a, it's, or it's garbage. <laughs> tell me if it's garbage. You can like email us and also tell us it's garbage. But there's a component as you come out of naturalism and you come out of, um, you come out of the enlightenment where, where man becomes the center of all things. You know, when, when you have the death of God, like Nietzsche said, God is dead. And you have the death of God, then who becomes God? Well, we become God. Because we're the only ones left. Matter, matter, stuff is the only thing that exists, and we're the epitome of stuff. We're the highest evolved creature, and as a result of that, then then we become the object of worship. And so, man can't be weak. Man can only be strong. 
man's the center of the universe. Man is everything. And, 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 and even, even in those circles of atheism, what do you call religion? It's the opiate of the, the people, right? It's religion is just the opium you take to make yourself feel better about the fact that you're not on top of the sociological, biological pyramid food chain. And so I feel like because we're still infected with some of that in our thinking, in our minds, we have to convince ourselves that humility is not less than. Yeah. And and the bottom line is, the truth of the matter is, there is the triune God of the Bible, and we're his creatures. And the divine language, the inspired language, he chose to describe how we come to him as that as slaves. And that's a, I know that's a negative word, but that's the inspired text of the scriptures that describes our position to him as servants. But he doesn't present it as a negative. Right. It, it, and it confronts our worldview. And I think the part of the, my problem, I'm going to speak of myself, is I have a hard time conforming my mind to what the Bible actually says. And I want to talk myself out of it. And I want to talk myself around it as opposed to going, you know, it's not a negative to, to be in a position to be a servant of Christ. That's not weak. That is achieving my maximum created intent. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Well, let me ask this question then. And this happens sometimes Bring with the, theology in the dirt. We just work things out as yeah. it comes to us. Do you feel like sometimes we treat humility like an oil change? Where like maybe just a few times a year, I'm going to explain. <laughs> a, few, a few times a year, We've we've got to we've got to be humble. Like rather than like learning to really walk in it, it's like oh man, my my pride meter has overflowed here. I got to go get, get I got to go get humbled now so I can I can walk with Christ better. It's almost like a person who can see walking around with a blindfold, realizing that oh if I just took this off, yeah, or somebody took this off of me, I can see. I don't know. I just, I'm just working that out question. in my mind. I I wonder if if and maybe that's not the right analogy, but I mm. the point being. Instead of really seeking to walk in that and understanding it's available all the time, right? We treat it as something we have to go search for or mm. fix from time to time in order for us to come to him. Or we, maybe we use certain times of year to emphasize it. That could be, yeah. So that's the oil change. You know, Easter we humble our Christmas we humble ourselves by recognizing Jesus humbled himself and you know took on the form of a servant and you know was born in the likeness of man. You know child in a manger and then christmas or an easter where he died and was buried humble so we all do that too so we at christmas we humble ourselves and and, and then the rest of the time we sort of walk in pride right. maybe and so i don't think we realize we're doing walking in pride yeah except for like certain instances and maybe this is just us as men because oftentimes we're like I'm, I'm reminded very quickly of my pride which i feel like i made a lot of progress in over the years but sure that plays itself out in at home in my marriage or at right. any, any places. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, I was, I was definitely prideful there, but otherwise I feel like we're just, I don't know. Maybe we just don't notice it. Maybe we don't notice it because no, we're we swimming. <laughs> it's like a fish doesn't notice water. If you ask a fish, what water is, if they could talk, you know, what's that? Well, you live in it <laughs> and you breathe because, Oh, okay. So water. And I think, I think the exaltation of man is the water we swim in and we're totally unaware of it till those moments where we realize where the where the Bible confronts the idea that you're not everything, Hoss. Like this is not about you, and it's not for you. Mm-hmm. And and that's hard for us to swallow because we read that and go, but 
everything we do in the church is about getting people to consume stuff sometimes. And it's like, and I think sometimes the Lord's screaming from heaven, this is not about you. This is for me. I am the only eternal creature that exists, and I am God and you are not. And, but we treat it as though we're the objects of his, like, oh, please come. And if you don't come, it's not going to be here. Oh, man. This is gonna, this is gonna, <laughs> I'm going to step on somebody's toe right now. Bring but it. How, um, how many times do we act humbly, but it's not an act of humility? Like How many times do we present humility or humbleness when we're not actually being humble. And I see this all the time with yeah. like public figures or celebrities and or you know, athletes and things. It's almost right. this I'm I'm performing humility so I look humble. Yeah. But that's not really what's going on. I'm I'm just saying that cuz I I'm, I'm no. I could probably think of times where I've done that too and Yeah, I think so and and I, and I think that's where a, a theology of suffering is necessary for the Christian in their in their scope of humility and I think that's where God is gracious to us. This is hard for me to swallow because We've been in a season of of suffering for about three years, just off and on, off and on, off and on. Mm-hmm. And I've had my moments where I'm sick of God, I'm done with God, I'm ready to walk away, um, I'm angry, um, I'm frustrated, I'm you know, and, and then you know, the Lord's gracious and kind and good, and I'm you know, oh, feel faith rising, <laughs> and then something right. comes and smashes that faith, right? And I and I, but, but what it does is it, it forces you to a, to a place. Where there's no such thing as false humility because you can't go any lower. You can't get any further. To go any further would be to die. And he hadn't let me die, and I'm not going to take my life. So I can't go any further down. Mm. And so all I've got is, and this is where you realize where Peter said things, I think it's First Peter 4, when it says, he who has suffered in the flesh is done with sin. Like I can, I can testify that there's this place where it's like, you know, when you feel good, sin's easy. That's a good <laughs> when, point. <laughs> when, but when you don't feel good, it's like you're you're jettisoning everything that one time that you stuck that extra cookie in, in when you were three years old. Like, God, I'm repenting of that for the hundredth time because I'm tired of suffering. Right. There's something about like the Lord the Lord is good to do Job moments and Joseph moments with us to kill false humility. So that you don't have any option but to be humble because the only reason you're alive today is because I gave you life. You lay down and slept and you woke because I sustained you. And when you woke up, you were miserable again. And so, therefore, what do you do? You come to me. And what I do, I sustain your life today. And you find that only suffering, but yes, false humility is a result of comfort. Mm -hmm. And God is good to bring seasons of suffering so that we learn to be humble. And that's probably not a theology people want to swallow. It's definitely not going to glean the masses with it. But I think it smells like the Bible. Yeah, it does. Paul, <laughs> I mean it. It takes it takes energy and effort to sin and right. to be prideful when yeah. all that's stripped away. Uh, you watch Survivor, right? Aren't you a Survivor oh, fan? I love yeah. Survivor too. Like yes. when you when you take away nourishment and energy and no sleep, and you wonder why well, these people are getting super emotional over a game. But but I, but <laughs> right. I, but put put it in this context though is like when yeah. you take all those things away that give you energy in life, mm-hmm. only thing that's left is. Is um, emotion and 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 honesty. You know, I know there's still some some tricking and lying and stuff yeah. in there. But I'm not talking about that aspect of the game, but right. but 
sometimes people just get super emotional over the simplest things, and it's because they've just been drained out of everything else, so they can't put on yeah. like a brave yeah. face. And and I wonder if that's similar yeah. in what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think so. I think. I think God is good to humble us to a place where what we have left is to be a slave of Christ and bring him everything we have. And, 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 and I think that comfort robs us of real worship. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not saying we should make our worship services miserable experiences. Um, because again, worship isn't epitomized in what happens in an hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday morning. Um, we've covered that already, mm-hmm. but, but what I am saying is that that whatever happens in that time is the fruit of what's happening out here, and if we're bringing fake humility or a put on, we shouldn't expect real worship. We shouldn't expect the manifestation of the presence of God because we're bringing garbage, right? You know, and so it's humbly, humbly recognizing who I am, who He is, and that it's not a um, less than state to humble myself or to or to have him humble me. Yeah, and when we do that and that produces worship, that also then produces, I think, real joy. Yes. Because I think that's when we talk about delighting in him. It's hard to do that full of pride. Yeah, that's right. It is. <laughs> I mean... Well, this whole word liturgia, it's a public office. And, and, and in, in Hellenization, so in, in the Greek culture bled over into the Roman culture, they served, the citizens served at their own expense. And this word is chosen by New Testament authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to describe worship, that at my own expense, I come as a servant of the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the true king. He is His government will know no end. And at my own expense, I come and lay my very life down. And that's the language the New Testament chose. So, so okay, all right, so that's probably too, that's probably more, but humbly glorifying God. So humbly, I come humbly, and what am I doing? The, the goal is to glorify God. And so this whole idea, this language of glorify is, is, is to put on display, um, to exalt to first place, to... Um, lift up to a place of being seen and known and heard. Um, primo, you know, Paul even used the language preeminent, that in all things he might be preeminent. And so glorifying, setting him up as preeminent and glorifying God. So, so the Lord, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God of the Bible is the object of, of our glorification. So we want to lift him up. Yeah. And so, so quite literally, this service, this slave-like humility is all about and for God, not the slaves. And it is for us bringing his due to him that he might be seen, believed, and obeyed so that we would find our greatest joy. And, and as the prophet Ezekiel said so many times, so that they will know that you are the Lord. He said that, I haven't actually counted that, but it's almost in every single chapter in the book of Ezekiel, so that they will know that I am the Lord. They will know I'm the Lord. They will know I'm the Lord. They will know I'm the Lord over and over and over again. And so it's truly, that, that may be even a good summary of glorifying God is so that they will know, everybody will know, I, I am, I am, I'm the I am, I am Yahweh. And so it's all about us bringing that to him, us staying hidden in 
him being seen. Hmm. Yeah, man, we're when we call it to glorify God, it's a holistic effort. It's hmm. uh, glorifying him in all that we do. And there's multiple scriptures that back this up. Yeah. I think First Corinthians ten thirty one is probably the one a lot of us know. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, 3.23 say it. First Peter 4 is an excellent passage about doing this practically using our gifts. Mm. Uh, Romans 12.1, which you mentioned. Romans is so good. You know, he, sp- yeah. he spends the first, like, what, 11 chapters yeah. laying out the gospel, laying out our separation from him and, and the penalty of sin, mm. ending that 11th chapter with worship. And then he's like, okay, therefore. And then he's like, this is what worship is. And he spends the rest of the book telling us how to do that, how to yeah. practically do that with our gifts with what we're called to do. It's just a yeah. reading Romans with that understanding completely changes the entire book uh, for me. But mm-hmm. Romans 12, one and two great passes there. Uh, as we believe, we believe in Christ to the glory of God and declare his glory in our worship, grateful obedience and all of life flows forth from us unto God's glory. Mm-hmm. And especially that happens in works of service that bless the church. Um, God's glorified by our wholehearted service to others and especially by our service to fellow believers. Um, but Scripture does indeed say both that all glory belongs to God and that his people share in that glory. Mm. Um, you talked about some Greek. I'm going to throw some Latin in this morning. Um, yes. Soli de gloria. Hopefully I said that right. Is a, It's a Latin phrase that translates to mean glory to God alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've talked about the five solos before. I think we did a... Let me do a sermon series on that one point yeah, not yeah. too long ago. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the five solas from the Protestant Reformation. So Soli Deo Gloria is about God and how he glorifies himself, but one magnificent way God glorifies himself is through glorifying us and enabling us to glorify him through faith, worship, and wholehearted service to him and our neighbors. Now, and I say all that to say is that the purpose of that is not glorifying ourselves, so don't hear me, but when we do humbly glorify him, both in worship through song and through speaking and through prayer, mm. but also in our entire lives, we we get to share in that in that glory. Mm-hmm. It trickles down yeah. from him because he delights mm. in us mm-hmm. and has called us to be among that. And it's hard to say that because mm. that sounds like we're elevating ourselves, but we're really not. Right. He is elevated through us, magnifying him. And, or as John Piper says it, God is most glorified in his people when his people are most satisfied in him. Mm. And I think the only way we can truly do that is through humility and then having a true, authentic heart of worship. Mm. That's brilliant. That's good stuff. You, yeah. Johann Sebastian Bach. Remember, we did a, a yeah. we used to do, a, we're going to start doing it again. It's like COVID killed the Christian biography. I used to do biography sermons on All Saints Day, and I've been a negligent preacher for bring about it, three years. Bringing it back next we're year. Bringing it back <laughs> this year. If you're Cor- not ready, somebody's going to be talking about it. So. Cor- Corey Ten Boom this year, but we did. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach one year, and um, um, he would sign all of his works SDG Sola Deo Gloria, and so so yeah, absolutely that that this to God alone be the glory, and so as we wrap up uh, this part three in worship, humbly glorifying God, um, master musician uh, Chris Hayes has a uh, has a song for us. It just really captures it. Really, really well. And so, uh, before we wrap up, want you uh, for your haze takeaway today, <laughs> share with us, uh, share with us a song that really speaks to it. Yeah, I was joking before we started. I was like, I'd be remiss as a worship leader <laughs> doing a podcast about worship not to do a worship song at some point. But I was just going to read the words, and I thought, man, it, it, I think it matters or it means more when you hear it through music. So, 
for my takeaway today, it is a song. I think the applications kind of speak for themselves today. Mm. But this song, and it came out in 1999, so it's been a while, uh, still speaks to me today, though. It's a good reminder of how to humbly glorify God in worship. Mm-hmm. So we thought I'd sing it today. It's called The Heart of Worship by Matt Redman. Uh, for many years, it was one of the most played worship songs. But it's really simple but uh, meaningful. So if you'll bear with me, then we'll do a little bit of the song. And, and that's, I think, it's just the right way to wrap up today. When music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come Longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i've made when it's all about you all about you jesus King of endless words No one could express How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to heart of worship. Where it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. When it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. When it's all about you, all about you. Jesus. Man, that's awesome. Thank you, Chris. Hey, guys, we appreciate you listening to Theology in the Dirt. It's a joy to come and hang out with you. It's a joy to do this with Chris and uh, to work out our theology 
in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world and talk through some stuff and figure some stuff out. Yeah. We hope you enjoy this journey with us. We pray that you have an absolutely incredible Christmas season. We pray you enjoy these days and make much of them. That you would humbly glorify God in response to the revelation of his glory and his majesty. That you would look to and see Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that that would lead you to a humble place of making much of the Lord God of the Bible. We trust you would share this podcast. Maybe it'll be for somebody who's struggling. Maybe it'll be for somebody who's asking questions of the faith. So share it. Give us a five-star rating. Make a comment on it. Send us an email at theologyandthird at gmail.com. Ask questions. We'd love to follow up and get after some of those questions you have. We really appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for letting us be part. Have an absolutely great rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Out. <laughs>